0: Well, if you've been with us for the past uh, few weeks, you know that we're in a study right now from the book of Exodus. And the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says that these things that happened to God's people in the Old Testament, their experiences with God are very instructive for us. In other words, we can learn a lot from the things they went through. And today is certainly no different Today, we come to a topic that is incredibly important. So here's my question for you today. How do we know when it's okay to compromise on something and when it's not? Now, I would suggest to you that there are times when compromise is a wonderful thing. For instance, when you're planning a vacation with your spouse and one of you likes sunny beaches. The idea of a great vacation is just hot weather, lots of surf, lots of sun, and lounging in the sun. And the other one doesn't care for that so much, but would rather have cobblestone streets in ancient European cities. Now, I'm not thinking of any particular couple where this would be true, but, uh, well, maybe one. Their initials are Rex and Debbie Keener, all right? So these are real-life situations. Isn't it a good thing to compromise? And maybe plan vacations that alternate between the two or maybe include some of both. You see, that kind of compromise is a wonderful thing. It's appropriate, and it helps foster a healthy relationship. Or what about when you're going out to eat? And, and, and maybe one of you likes a lot of red meat, you know, and just um, that kind of experience. And the other one wants more like vegetarian options. Well, what should you do? Should it just be one or the other? Does one person always have to get their way on that? Hopefully not. I think we can acknowledge that a little variety is the spice of life, and we should try to accommodate each other's. Taste and preferences and opinions on things like that. Or how about a situation where it comes to your day off and you're trying to figure out how to spend the day off. Maybe you call it your Sabbath day or it's just a time when you're not on and you wanna relax. How do you relax? Well, maybe one of you, your idea of relaxation is strenuous hikes through rugged mountains. And that's your idea of just a way to let all the worries go and just lay everything down and, and really, really be replenished. But the other one would prefer to lounge on the patio and sip iced tea. Well, hopefully you can find a path of compromise where both of those styles can be celebrated. So I hope you get the point. Sometimes when it comes to matters of style and preference and opinion and taste, compromise is an awesome thing. But that's not what we're talking about today. What about those situations where there should be no compromise? Matters of morality or matters of deep spiritual issues where God has been crystal clear in his word What about those? Should we compromise then? That's what I wanna talk with you about today as we continue to learn from the experiences of God's people in the Old Testament. Now, in just a moment, we're gonna pick this story up. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up now to Exodus chapter eight. We're gonna start there in just a little bit, Exodus eight. And I invite you to keep your Bible open and, and simply follow along as we look at this story And we're about to see a tug of war between Pharaoh, who was the most powerful monarch in the world at the time, and Moses, this leader that God had raised up to be a deliverer. And God sends one plague after another. And so the pressure on Pharaoh is mounting to let the people go. And what we're gonna see is that Pharaoh starts suggesting a series of compromises. Well, you can go, but, but you need to do this, et cetera, et cetera. And Moses was faced with a dilemma, should he compromise or not? So before we get to that, let, let me just say again, because I find a lot of misunderstanding and confusion among Christian people about this. There are times in life lots of them, when it is appropriate to compromise. Let me be blunt. If you stubbornly refuse to yield on issues of preference and taste and opinion, you are going to come across as unduly harsh and unyielding. You don't want to be that guy. You do not. There's nothing winsome about that. You don't wanna be that woman who's got such a strong opinion about her preferences that, that she's unwilling to yield to anybody else. That has split a lot of marriages. It has started unnecessary wars and it has demolished a lot of good relationships. I heard about two preachers who were bickering constantly with each other over minor, minor issues of, of, of doctrine or how to serve God. And they just went back and forth arguing over this minor issue. And finally, one of them said, all right, all right, I'm not gonna argue with you anymore. You've got your opinion and I've got mine. And then he added, you serve God your way and I'll serve him his. Well, that kind of arrogance is gonna play havoc in your relationships. I hope it doesn't shock you when I say the Apostle Paul compromised. He said, I've become all things to all people so that all possible means I might win some to Christ. Paul compromised on matters of preference in order to have an impact on the matters, that the matters the things that mattered the most. And we need to learn a lesson from that. Folks, let me tell you, too often Christians are known for majoring on minors. And our refusal to be flexible on matters of preference can really hinder our witness for Christ and it really frustrates our impact in the kingdom. So let's learn today. Let's dive into this text from Exodus chapter eight and I believe there's some incredible lessons here for our lives today. We pick the story up in Exodus eight, verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh. Wow, what a hard job this is. Remember, the most powerful monarch in the world at the time, as he goes to water and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, there's gonna be consequences now. Here, here's one of the consequences. I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. and Even the ground where they are. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen. That's the area where the Hebrew people live. Things are gonna be different there, he's saying. Where my people live, no swarms of flies will be there. So that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will occur tomorrow. And it goes on to say, and the Lord did this. In other words, he followed through on what he said he would do. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. And throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by the flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, it's like he's just about had it by now. All right, all right, go sacrifice to your God here in the land. So here's the first offer of a compromise. There's gonna be four today that we'll look at biblically. Here's the first one. Do your religious thing, but don't leave Egypt. And we get that from that last line we just saw in verse 25, where it says, go sacrifice to your God, notice the phrase, here in the land. Now, in Bible typology, and that is a very real thing, and it's a valid hermeneutical principle, in biblical typology, Egypt is synonymous with sin. Pharaoh in biblical typology, is, it represents the devil himself. So to stay in Egypt would symbolically represent staying in a state of sin and bondage where Satan is ruling, coming out of Egypt typologically. And by the way, if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ today, guess what? You've come out of Egypt if you really belong to the Lord, if you've been saved, if you're a follower of Christ who's legit, genuine, bona fide, real, you have, symbolically speaking, come out of Egypt. That represents our salvation where we're delivered from sin and spiritual death by the blood of God's chosen lamb who is Jesus Christ. Now, with all of that in mind, think about what this compromise represents. Look. Go through your religious ritual. Go ahead, knock yourself out. Do your religious thing, but do it right here in Egypt. You've been talking about leaving and going so you can worship God and really get on with things, but look, you you don't need to leave Egypt. I'll give you some time off, man. People, you'll have time. You can be all religious, but when it's all over, you'll still be in the land of slavery and darkness and superstition. Now, folks, Satan still offers that salvation compromise today. Here's what it sounds like. You can dress Egypt up. You can decorate Egypt. Just don't desert Egypt. Please hear me today. The devil is into religion. Are you listening? The devil loves religion. He doesn't mind you being religious and going through religious rituals as long as you don't get truly saved and delivered from the life of sin and bondage. And so when conviction comes into your life that, wow, I I need to be better, I I need to do something different, he'll say, "Oh, oh, hey, listen, listen, don't get carried away. Just turn over a new leaf. Be a better person. That's all you really need. That's all that's necessary. Just don't kick your dog, okay? Walk an old lady across the street, for goodness sake. Go to church a little more. That'll salve your conscience and make you feel a little better. It's all you really need. Now listen, folks, that may sound good to some people on the surface, but that is the most pernicious lie Satan has going. Jesus said, Unless you're born again, you're not seeing the kingdom of heaven. You gotta get out of Egypt. And until you do get out of Egypt, you're not really free. Friend, I'm gonna be as blunt and as clear as I can be. The devil would rather have you be a nice, kind, religious, lost person than a hardened criminal in San Quentin. Because the nice, polite, religious person is gonna do more damage to his cause than the hardened criminal. Satan loves religion. And he'd rather send you to destruction in hell from a church chair than from some gutter in downtown Albany. The question I've got for you today is, have you left Egypt? Are you moving on toward the promised land, the abundant life in Jesus Christ that he has designed for you? So this compromise to be a nice religious person, but stay in Egypt is an issue on which we must never compromise. Have you left Egypt? That's a question I will never tire of asking you. Have you truly come into a genuine relationship by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? But now, let's quickly move on and look at the second one, and we'll wrap them all together at the end. Here's the second compromise that Pharaoh, remember, who represents the devil in biblical typology, here's what he offered. You may leave Egypt, but don't go very far. Now, if you have your Bible open to Exodus 8, just go down a couple more verses to verse 28, and here's what we read. Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer your sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert, but catch this, you must not go very far. Okay, leave if you must, but hey, don't go very far. Here's what that sounds like today all right, if you need to trust in Christ for salvation, all right, if you have to do it, worship your God, but don't get too fanatical about your faith. Become a nice churchgoer, but don't be really committed. Don't be a sold out, full out, wholly committed follower of Jesus Christ. Get settled if you, uh, get saved if you have to, but just settle down in the suburbs of sin right outside of Egypt. And that temptation, friend, is very much alive and well in our world today. Here, here's basically what this temptation is saying. You can get out of Egypt, just don't ever get Egypt out of you. Get out of Egypt, but don't ever get Egypt out of you. Keep on using the same language you used in Egypt. Same lifestyle, same conversations, same priorities, same habits you had in Egypt. Live the same way you did before you left. And for God's sake, don't ever become distinctive. Whew, this is alive and well today, folks. Now, I, I, I wanna fight with the statistics that I read. Let me tell you, I don't believe everything I read, all right? Are we on the same page there? Every Gallup poll, every poll by George Barna, all the religious organizations who exist to try to kind of survey people and find out what their values are, their lifestyle choices, etc. Here's what virtually every one of them says that there is essentially virtually no difference between professing Christians and people who make no profession to be Christian at all. Virtually no difference. Now, I want to fight with that. I want to go, are they really Christians, though? Because we know that a lot of people claim to be Christians, but aren't really Christians. I think if you got real Christians, they're going to be different. But all I'm telling you is what the data says. You can fight with it if you want. I'm just telling you what the data says. So let me ask you, are you living like an Israelite or an Egyptian? Spiritually speaking, are you camping out just outside of Egypt? Is your Christian life lukewarm? G. Campbell Morgan was a great preacher from another generation. He spoke to that. He said, lukewarmness is the worst kind of blasphemy. To say, God, I believe in you. You just don't excite me too much. That is the worst kind of blasphemy of all. In case you can't pick it up, I'm super passionate about this issue. I'm just weary of professing Christians who claim to be delivered from Egypt, but seem to have no desire to move very far away from Egypt. If that's you, I say it with incredible love and compassion. It is time to move on. God has so much more for you. He has an abundant life designed for you, but it requires a commitment on your part toward fullness in Christ. Here's what I'm concerned about. Oh, I see this so much. I'm concerned that some of us listening right now, what we're really wanting is for God to zap us. (laughs) We're going to church. We're looking for a feeling we had one time. We want some emotional experience. We want God to zap us so that suddenly we've got all the fullness of Christ in our life. And we're just this incredibly mature Christian. It's like microwave Christianity. Zap me, God. Zap me. (laughs) Probably not going to happen. I'll tell you what 2,000 years of Christianity does tell us, it says that the women and men who represent Jesus the best, who are most successful in the Christian life, who are prospering and flourishing in all of God's ways and all the right ways, are the ones who've committed themselves to that. And they engage in certain actions, like opening their Bible, like praying, like fellowshipping with other believers, getting in a group with other believers where iron is sharpening iron, like occasionally fasting, committing to solitude and silence, to seeking God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's an intentional commitment to that that helps us move on to maturity. I don't know anyone's heart, and thank God I'm not anyone's judge. Hallelujah. But I will tell you this, the data just seems to show that there are millions of professing Christians who kind of have a, I got my ticket punch mentality, so I'm good to go. Don't bother me about becoming mature in Christ. That's the exact compromise that Pharaoh offered, and we must never compromise on that. Because God has a life of fullness for you that if you could just get a glimpse of it, I'm convinced it would blow your mind. It would excite you so much that you would be passionate to pursue that life of fullness. But there's a third compromise we need to move on to quickly. Pharaoh offered this. He said, you may depart, but leave your children in Egypt. Leave your children behind. Now, I want you to look at the context of this so you can see how this compromise was actually presented. Pharaoh continues to stubbornly refuse to let the people of God go. And so God keeps sending more plagues to get his attention. Chapter nine, verse six, the next day the Lord did it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Pharaoh sent men to investigate and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Wow. Yet his heart, that is Pharaoh's heart, was unyielding and he would not let the people go. And then as you read on, you see that God sends another plague. Exodus 9, verse 9 it will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, and festering boils will break out on men and animals throughout the land. If you've ever had a a boil, you know how distressful, how painful that can be. We read on in verse 10. So they took soot from a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air, and festering boils broke out on men and animals. The magicians Magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on all the Egyptians. And so Pharaoh's humiliated here because his magicians, who've been able to copy and mimic some of the miracles, they can't even stand in his presence because of what's going on in their bodies. And yet Pharaoh's heart is still hard, and he won't let the people go. Will the plagues keep on coming. This plague is followed by a plague of of hail that wreaks havoc with the crops and then a plague of locusts that devours what is still left standing in the fields. And so the drama keeps building. And in chapter 10, we read Pharaoh's officials said to him, it's like they're they're going nuts. They're going, Pharaoh, are you blind? Look at the environmental impact report, dude. Can't you see that our country is wrecked. How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? You know, we've been looking with horror and sadness at the devastation from the earthquake in Syria and Turkey. And over these last few days, getting all the... and. I, last I saw over 28,000 deaths, I believe, because of this horrific tragedy. And I hope you're joining with me in praying for the people of Turkey and Syria that God would not only bring comfort and uh, uh, you know healing to them and supplies. And by the way, good news, Christians are stepping up big. Christians are stepping up big. The reports I'm getting is that Christians are there boots on the ground bringing supplies bringing help bringing medical support etc food clothing shelter as well as sharing the love of Christ and the message of the gospel it's it's awesome to see but imagine imagine one of these countries where all this devastation imagine the president of one of these nations standing up and Like, well, what's wrong? What's everybody bothered about? That's what the officials are going berserk over. Pharaoh, don't you see it, man? Don't you realize that we are ruined? They want to be sure that he understands, hey, this has gone too far. But Pharaoh is an awfully stubborn character. And he offers a third compromise here in verse eight. Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God, he said, but just who will be going? Moses answered, we'll go with our young and old, with our sons and daughters, with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, the Lord be with you if I let you go along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil. Now, the Hebrew word that the NIV translators translated women and children, it literally means this. It literally means little ones. So Pharaoh is essentially offering this compromise. Look, all you adults, you go do your thing, but just leave the young people, leave the children behind. But Moses refused that compromise, and so Pharaoh ultimately kicked him out. I want to say a quick word to parents right now. And I realize many of you are not parents, but maybe you have influence with young people in some way. Quick word to you. and Boy, we could camp out here for days on this topic. It's such a vital and important one, but I want to be very, very, very brief. I just want to be sure we're clear on this. Parents, you cannot force your children to leave Egypt. I'm camping here for just a moment because I still hear tons of confusion about this among Christian parents. They think that somehow they can make their kids leave Egypt. This is a sobering reality, I know, Christian parents. It's sobering. But we are no longer under the Old Testament model. What's the Old Testament model, Pastor? The Old Covenant, Old Testament, they had a sort of corporate solidarity in the family. In other words, whatever the mom and dad's faith was, the children got kind of automatically lumped into that, okay? But God said through Jeremiah and Ezekiel that the new covenant is gonna be different. And one of the outstanding differences, listen now, In the new covenant, the covenant that we're under as Christians is that every person stands completely on their own before God. Oh, you can have influence on others. Parents have enormous influence for good or for bad. Yes, that is true. But we cannot decide for our children. We cannot force our children to leave Egypt. Everyone stands on their own. So, parents, with that in mind, let me ask you this. Do your kids know that you care more about making headlines in heaven than headlines in Egypt? Do they know that your priorities, how you spend your time, your money, is it obvious to them with your conversation and your passions in life is it obvious to your children that your priorities are with Christ and his kingdom? Is it obvious? You say, well, how, how would they know that, Pastor? Did they see you crack your Bible open? They, do they know that you're committed to a devotional life with the Lord? you really take him seriously? Do, do they ever see you when it comes to like a, a tough moral issue and your number one desire is to want to please Christ? Do they, do they see you in those situations? Is it obvious to anyone who has eyes to see that Jesus is absolutely number one in your life? Now, the reason, the reason I'm pounding you with these questions today is because one thing I know, Christianity is a lot more caught than taught. I, I believe in teaching. I hope you know that. In fact, I think we should do the best we possibly can to teach our children and mentor them in the Bible and the ways of God. Amen, amen, amen. Do the best you can to teach your children. But as you're teaching them, just remember this. Your lifestyle is speaking so loudly they can't hear a word you're saying. That just trumps everything else. So do as I say, not as I do stuff is not gonna work. In fact, that will make them wanna run from Christ and his church. We cannot force our children to leave Egypt. Some of the finest Christian parents I know have children who at the present time are not following Christ. You just need to understand Every person stands before God on their own. And conversely, some of the weirdest, poorest Christians I've ever seen in my life somehow have kids who are sold out for Christ. Isn't that strange? Every person, let me say it again, stands before God on their own in this new covenant, okay? So let's keep that in mind. Final compromise, You may depart, but leave your possessions behind. Oh, the saga continues. God sends a ninth plague, which is darkness over the land. We read this. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness will spread over Egypt. Darkness, get this, that can be felt. Whoa, this this is like palpable darkness. In my teenage years, I used to do a lot of spelunking, a lot of cave exploration. I probably would never go some of the places now that I went then. <laughs> I, I was just fearless. And, 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 and we would go with a mere flashlight a half mile into the bowels of the earth, okay? And we're down there, and I've had a flashlight go out. And you can't, you can't see the hand. that That's darkness. And it's Palpable darkness. I don't think we appreciate how bad this plague actually was. It was darkness that could be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. Here in the capital district of New York today, we have a wonderful sunshiny day. It's awesome. And I don't think we appreciate how much sunshine does for our emotions and our mental and physical well-being. Imagine three days of palpable darkness. The people are panicked. They're totally freaking out. And so finally, Moses summoned, uh, Pharaoh summoned Moses again and said, go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks, and herds behind. Oh, he was shrewd. He knew that they would only leave their possessions behind. It would keep tugging, keep tugging on their hearts to want to return to Egypt. But notice Moses' response. You must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock too must go with us not a hoof. I like that. It's like in your face, Pharaoh, not a hoof, not a hoof is going to be left behind. And so here's my final word for you today. Oh, I know a lot of, I know a lot of believers who come out of Egypt, but somehow left their possessions behind. They do lip service to God, But when it comes to generously giving of their flocks and herds, of their possessions, they actually give very little because somehow, somehow they haven't gotten that message that God owns it all and they're simply managers of all of this stuff. Can I tell you? Can I tell you what I've discovered through many years now? The happiest, the most balanced, the most joyful, the most prosperous, the most successful, the most abundant living Christians I've ever seen are the ones who've settled the lordship issue. They've come out of Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. And man, they brought their possessions with them. And they get such joy out of sharing these things freely, the things that they have freely received. My question Is that you? So wow, these these temptations to compromise are very real. They're just as relevant and real as they were back then. Do your religious thing, but just don't leave Egypt. Jesus said, you must be born again. Oh, leave Egypt, but don't go very far. No, no, no. The Bible says he brought us out bring us in. He has an abundant life in store for us. Leave Egypt, but leave your children behind. Jesus said, let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And then the final one, leave Egypt, but leave your your flocks and herds behind. The Bible says, freely you have received, freely give. May we learn as a people, when it's good to compromise, And when it's good to stand in the face of temptation and say, I will not compromise. Jesus and his kingdom are number one in my life. Father, we need that wisdom. Thank you for how your word continues to teach us and how relevant these old covenant lessons are for us today. Thank you that we can walk with you in freshness and vitality We can look to you every day, moment by moment, to lead us into a life of fullness and abundance. And Father, I pray for those who are battling one of these temptations, that you would give them an incredible clarity and a tenacity and a courage to say, I will not compromise. Jesus is gonna be number one in my life And I pray all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen and amen.